0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to this study of the book of Revelation. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. We are grateful for your commitment to uh, serious biblical studies. We are continuing in our study of the book of Revelation, and we are at the climax of the climax of the climax. Uh, We are beginning in chapter 21, verse 1 today. Let me set the context to draw a connection to the last podcast. Uh, where we finish studying chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. Uh, We have seen um, uh, God bring judgment on the earth, on evil and sin on the earth, and we have seen the establishment of the millennial kingdom. Uh, Then we saw that uh, the devil was loosed again, and at the end of the uh, millennial kingdom, the reign of Christ on the earth, And at that point, there came the judgment and the resurrection of those that were not in Christ. And that was the end, the final end, of evil and sin in the world, there at the end of the Millennial Kingdom. And then when we turn to chapter 21, we see uh, the end of the end. The end starts happening. Uh, in chapter 20 or in chapter 19, actually, with the return of Christ, chapter 20, the Millennial Kingdom, the earthly reign of Christ based in the holy city of Jerusalem. Uh, then at the end of the Millennial Kingdom, the final eradication of sin uh, and evil in the world. Then chapter 21 is where we see the consummation. Chapter 21 is where we see uh, the completion of the work of Christ. Uh, just a few words to introduce chapter 21, and then uh, in this podcast we'll go verses 1 through 8, uh, w- which is the beginning of um, the descent of the Holy City and the, the renewal of creation. And then uh, in next week's podcast we'll finish chapter 21 and make it into part of chapter 22, and that will then we'll just leave us with the epilogue or uh, John's conclusion to the book of Revelation. Let me say this by way of introduction. It's been within the last 150 years that particularly in Western Christianity, a lot of uh, Western Christians have just assumed a very platonic uh, vision of the afterlife, that you live in this world and then you die and you enter a spiritual existence, uh, call it heaven, paradise, and that is it. We live on earth, and then we go to heaven, and that's it, as far as eschatology, as far as the working out of history, as far as the eternal kingdom. Um, the Christian tradition actually is much, much richer than that. Uh, it's not just living on this earth, dying, and going to heaven, though that is real, and that's part of the journey. Uh, When you finish your last breath on this earth, if you belong to Christ, uh, your spirit goes to rest, reside in the presence of Christ in heaven, the paradise, which we've called for centuries now the intermediate kingdom. Uh, we, we, We put your earthly remains to rest here on this earth. Your spirit goes to be with the Lord to await, to await the final end, to await the consummation to await the resurrection of the dead here on earth, to await the reunification of body and spirit here on earth. And then we enter into an existence that's um, uh, very much like what you see Jesus in his resurrection life post-Easter. In the Christian faith, our ultimate destiny, and this is historic Orthodox Christianity, But in the last 150 years, we've just so strayed from it. This may seem new to some of you. Um, But in historic Christianity, uh, the destiny of the Christian, the eternal destiny of the Christian, has always been an earthly destiny. It's not just living, dying, and going to heaven. But we see an end of history where uh, the earth will be regenerated, the earth will be rejuvenated. Uh, heaven will come to earth. That's what we're going to see here in chapters 21 and 22. Heaven comes to earth. The intermediate kingdom, where we go now spiritually at death, uh, will become uh, part of this earthly realm. The two will be reunited, just like we think individually happens between uh, the spirit and the body being reunited, the resurrection of the dead. So we don't just die and go to heaven, and that's the end of the story. Um, in the in the christian faith it 's much richer than that as uh, we die, we spiritually go into the presence of God, we await the end, and then at the end uh, there 's a resurrection of the body, there is a restoration of all creation. Uh, we know this because of much of the Hebrew Bible, the old testament We, we see a great deal in uh, for instance the the book of Isaiah about uh, the um, return of Eden, the return of paradise to this earth, uh, that period when all the nations will stream to Jerusalem, that period when the Lion and the Lamb will lay down, uh, that period of great prosperity and peace under uh, King Jesus, the Messiah, here in this world. We see that in Isaiah. Um, We see that in bits and pieces throughout other prophecies in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, Then, for instance, in in the New Testament, you read all that language in the Gospels where Jesus tells his followers that one day they will rule and reign. Uh, One day the saints will come from north, south, east, and west to sit at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, that we will completely become a kingdom of priests and kings as we become co-rulers with Christ on this earth. In Romans 8, We hear the Apostle Paul talking about how earth groans for the redemption of creation. And the redemption of creation will occur at the same time that the uh, children of God are fully and completely redeemed. And that all creation will be redeemed uh, at some point at the final moments, the final work of Christ in history. The redemptive work of Christ is not just something that maintains pertains or pertains to our spirits or our souls. It does certainly do that, but the redemptive work of Christ is far greater and broader than just a a spiritual uh, salvation that is eternal. The redemptive work of Christ will include all of creation, uh, all of creation. Uh, And all of creation will become what creation was intended to be uh, when God created uh, the heavens and the earth uh, back in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, We will return to that Edenic paradise, but it'll be something even far greater than what was lost through the sin of the human family in the Garden of Eden. So um, I'm just saying all of that to help you change your mindset Uh, If if you're just a typical part of 20th, 21st century Western Christianity, you think we live, we die, we go to heaven, that's the end of the story. And we're not quite sure what to do about all the language in the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Testament about the return of Christ and about the restoration, the regeneration of, of earth and creation. Um, We're not just Greek Platonists that are concerned about spiritual reality. Uh, We come out of the Hebrew Bible. We are an earthly, uh, materialistic, in the best sense of that word, tradition. When God's redemptive work is complete, God will be able to look at all creation again, just like at the beginning of the book of Genesis, and say, at that point, it is good. Um, there will come a time when God's will will be done on earth just as is being done in heaven today. And that's what we're looking at here in uh, Revelation chapter 21. And we're just going to look at the first eight verses today. So um, if you have your Bibles in front of you, and I hope that you do, look at chapter 21, verse 1. Um, John sees the consummation. He begins in these first eight verses, introducing the descent of eternity to earth. Uh, Then in verse 9, which we'll look at next week and following, he describes um, the new Jerusalem that comes to earth. So, beginning at the first verse of chapter 21, John is writing and John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was new no more." So he sees a new heaven, new earth, not completely different from what we know now to be heaven and earth, but new in a qualitative sense. Um, This is a new, regenerated, restored, uh, revived, redeemed heaven and earth. because the first earth, the first heaven that we that we know now, has has passed away at this point. And then it says here at the end of verse 1, that interesting uh, statement, the sea was no more. Um, when you read that, you need to keep in mind that it was in chapter 13 of the book of Revelation that the beast came up out of the sea. Uh, in a lot of ancient literature, particularly from the Jewish community, the sea was seen as a place of chaos and danger, something that engendered fear in people. Uh, Think about the ancient world. They had really, really small boats in a really, really big sea, and it was frightening. They didn't know what all was under the water. That's why you have language about sea monsters scattered uh, throughout the Hebrew Bible, like in the book of Job. Um, So the sea represents uh, not really what the sea represents to us today. Most of us look at the sea today and we, we, we see its beauty and its majesty. But in the ancient world, the sea kind of meant uh, the unknown and chaos. So that's what the author means here when he says, the new heaven and the new earth come down and the sea was no more. Uh, also, when you look at the new heaven and the new earth, which we'll do throughout chapter 21, uh, you'll see there's no really sea mentions. So that's another reason why. The sea was no more. But just keep in mind that the sea uh, was uh, emblematic of evil. Just like darkness is usually emblematic of evil in in the biblical way of thinking. Um, And you're going to see that also in in chapters 21 and 22. So John has seen the new heaven and the new earth come down. The first heaven and the first first earth have passed away. Verse 2. And he says, continuing, "...and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband." So this new heaven and this new earth that is coming down and consuming, the earth as we know it, is coming down as a gift from God. Uh, That's why we have this language about it, coming down out of heaven. It's not something we create here on this earth. Uh, We can see glimpses of the kingdom of God and the influence of God here and now. But for the influence of God to be complete and perfect in human history, it's going to have to be consummated with the work of God. So we see it coming down, a gift out of heaven. Uh, And you notice here John refers to uh, this new heaven, new earth that comes down as the holy city, the new Jerusalem. The phrase holy city for centuries, a millennia, has referenced the, the earthly city of Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem, which means um, city of peace, Yerushalayim, really has never been that in human history. Uh, it's never been what God wanted Yerushalayim, Jerusalem to be. There's uh, been a great deal of conflict around Jerusalem. But there will come a time, friend when Jerusalem will be what God intended it to be, when all of creation will be what God intended it to be. So this new heaven, this new earth is coming down, is being termed the holy city, New Jerusalem. Notice also that this new Jerusalem, this new heaven, this new earth is coming down from God as a gift prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, so, we know that heaven, as it exists right now, is a prepared place, uh, prepared by Jesus for us to go when we die. This prepared place will come to earth one day, it's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Later in this text you are going to see that, that the church, the people of Jesus, are referred to both as the bride and the wife of the Lamb. We'll talk about that uh, later, but just let me say at this point, um, the, when, we're, when we are referred to as the bride, that that um, is a beautiful symbol of the purity and the beauty that will be ours one day when the kingdom is complete. When we, the church, is referred to as the wife of Christ, the wife of the Lamb, that refers to uh, the intimacy that we have with Christ. Christ. We participate in some of that intimacy here and now through the power of the Holy Spirit, but that intimacy will be perfect one day. So John sees this new heaven, new earth, which he terms the Holy See, the New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, uh, is prepared as a bride because it is the dwelling place of the bride, the, 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 the bride, and the wife of the Lamb, the church. So let me continue with verse 3. And John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, or with humanity. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is what makes heaven and the eternal kingdom and the renewed creation and the consummation of history um, to be what it is in the Christian mindset. It is the place where we dwell perfectly with God. Uh, This is the consummation, the completion of the covenant that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 3. This is the completion of all of God's covenant work uh, in in human history where we will truly be with God and God will truly be with us. Uh, We will be the people of God. And it will be a perfect unity, a perfect intimacy. Uh, something else you need to notice about this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. The word dwelling place there is skene. Uh You can translate it tabernacle. It's like the tabernacle that the children of Israel used as their center of worship through the wilderness wandering before the temple. So it it is the tabernacle. Uh, Skene also is connected to the Hebrew word, same root, Shekinah, the Shekinah glory. So the tabernacle um, in, in, in the Jewish way of thinking was the place where the Shekinah glory resided in the midst of the people, just like the same was true uh, in the temple. The Shekinah glory resided in the temple in the Hebrew way of thinking. Well, when the kingdom finally comes on earth, it's when we, the, it, we will be consumed, immersed, uh, totally inebriated in the Shekinah glory of God. That's the dwelling place of God. That's the Shekinah glory of God. And that's, that's what heaven is for us. Heaven is not so much a carnal, sensual experience for us as it is, as it is an intimacy, a relationship with God. And in verse 4, we see part of, the, part of the glory of the eternal kingdom. Uh, John says, verse 4, chapter 21, He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have all passed away. When the kingdom comes, all human suffering will be passed. When the kingdom comes... There'll be no more crying or mourning or pain because all the former things will have passed away. All that pertained to this world that did not pertain to the kingdom of God will be passed away. Uh, That's what he means when he says all the tears will be wiped from our eyes. Um, all All the pain of the previous existence will be gone. And he he continues to explain how this is happening in verse 5. And he who is seated on the throne, obviously that's God, he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Um, It's in the making of all things new that all that is part of the old dispensation, the old way of reality passes away. Uh, You could think of it this way. Um, today, in this age, throughout church history, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, whenever someone receives Jesus Christ, they are made new. Uh, think about Paul's uh, words in Second Corinthians five seventeen. He says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. So we become new creations when we come to Christ here and now in this age. What we see happening here in this text is um, 2 Corinthians 5.17 goes worldwide. Not just the spirit of the redeemed being made new, but all of creation will be made new. Uh, all of creation will be part of this new creation that is ours in Christ. Uh, He continues, also the one on the throne said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. I almost feel at this point, uh, God through John knows that uh, this is so mind-boggling for us. This is so beyond human experience for us. Even though we're receiving this through the use of human language at this point is beyond anything that human language can can adequately explain it's really in some ways we might think it's too good to be believed too good to be true and that's exactly why God says write this down for these words are trustworthy and true and then in verse six you you see um, you see this coming of the kingdom tied throughout all of salvation history uh, connected to all of salvation history. It's the final consummation of the work of salvation in human history and in human lives. Uh, and you see that in verse 6 when it says, and he said to me, God says to me, it is done. You can translate that if you like, it is finished. Just like Christ said on the cross. When Christ on the cross said, it is finished, Um, In a certain sense, it was finished. The work was done at that point. But now we've had 2,000 years where the work of Christ has continued to go across this earth. The work of Christ continues to be made real in this world. And there will come a point in human history when, in regards to all of creation, uh, we will be reminded of the words of Christ, it is finished, it is done. What was begun on Calvary will be completed at the consummation. The redemptive work of Christ will be complete. Verse 6, he said to me, it is done, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Of course, that's the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet, uh, the language in which New Testament is written. Uh, so when when God and Jesus says the same thing, by the way, at the beginning of the book of Revelation, when he says, I'm Alpha and Omega, he is saying, I'm both your your source for living and life, and I'm your goal for living and for life. I'm the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, Then he continues, "To, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Again, this consummation comes down as a gift from God. It is something God gives us as the final gift. And you see the emphasis on grace here. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The water of life is a symbol of eternal life, heavenly life, the divine life that God shares with us, and he's giving it to us without cost we come to Christ and this is part of the exchange we give Christ our lives we give Christ our sins we yield to the Lordship of Christ and and he gives to us the water of life without payment the only thing we really bring to the transaction besides our willingness uh, to be part of the kingdom is we bring our sins to the transaction and we give them to Jesus Christ and from the spring of the water of life we receive the gift Of eternal, divine, everlasting, uh, heavenly life. Verse 7 The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son or my daughter. This links us back to particularly chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. If you remember the seven letters to the seven churches, at the end of each one of those letters, uh, there was a promise given. Uh, And it usually had something to do with he who overcomes will. And in each of those letters, uh, you see part of what the people who overcome will receive. I invite you, perhaps, for some homework to go back and revisit uh, the the blessings that are promised to overcomers, to those who conquer through Christ, to those who stay faithful to Christ, uh, that are mentioned in chapters 2 and 3 at the end of the seven letters to the seven churches. Um, but that's what's being referenced here in verse 7. To the one who conquers, uh, they will have this heritage. And I will be their God, and he will be my son, or she'll be my daughter. Verse, verse 8 is a rather concerning verse. Uh, people like to skip over verse 8. Um, but I want to conclude what we studied today by looking at verse 8. Um, he says in verse 8, but... As he's looking at the, the consummation, the new heaven, the new earth, the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down, engulfing planet earth, he sees the, the um, final state of eternity, um, he says this, verse 8, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I think particularly in context here, John is referencing um, the apostate Christians. The Christians throughout history, who throughout the work of God in human history, who who betray Christ, who walk away from the faith— who become more a part of the kingdom of this world than they're part of the kingdom of our God and his Christ. In some ways when you look at the book of Revelation, uh, as the great Bible scholar um, Beasley Murray one time said, what you see here in the book of Revelation is the tale of two cities. You see this holy city, the New Jerusalem, as, is, as it is influencing history and then as it is completed at the end of history. But then throughout Revelation, as you remember, you, you saw the, uh, the city of the harlot. You saw the city of the earth dwellers. You saw the city of uh, the people who preferred earth to the heavenly realm of God. So you really see a tale of two cities here. And what you 're being presented throughout the Book of Revelation is an invitation to make sure that your citizenship is in the correct city and I believe here in in, in verse eight he 's particularly making reference. To the people who have rejected Christ, who served the beast, who served the devil, who served the dragon. These, I think in John's mind, are specifically the cowardly who um, out of fear walked away from Christ, the faithless, those who gave up uh, the faith, the detestable, those who started acting like the dragon and his henchmen, um, who became murderers, who participated in the kingdoms of this world, the sexually immoral, uh, the word there again is porneia, that very broad Old word of all that is sexually immoral, all that is against the moral standards of both testaments, uh, sorcerers, that dark magic, idolaters, throughout the book of Revelation we're being told that we need to make sure we know who is on the throne and we need to make sure that we worship the true and the living God and only the true and living God. And then he concludes by saying, and all liars. Remember, it was John in the gospel who referred to the devil as the father of lies. Um, So uh, these liars are the people who buy the lies of the enemy. I think these are the people um, who belong to the enemy, the people who belong to the city of the harlot, the people who belong uh, to the uh, the beast, the dragon, uh, Satan, and the work of Satan in the world. And it says clearly that these will not have a portion in this new heaven and this new earth. Uh, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's the eternal death, the eternal separation from God. We, we, we encounter this same phrase uh, both in chapter 20 and in chapter, chapter 19, uh, this lake that burns with fire and sulfur, uh, this second death. This, this, is, this is what we tender, tend to term hell at this point this is that hell is not created for anybody that belongs to jesus hell is created for the devil and then ultimately hell is created for the people who have um, given their lives to the evil one who have given their lives to the devil so that brings us to the end of what i want to talk about in in this session uh, this is john's introduction uh, to the new heaven and the new earth that comes down uh, the, to the rejuvenation of creation to the completion of the kingdom to the day when god's will will be done on earth as it is presently being done in heaven so next week we'll start at chapter nine and go through chapter 22 verse five from 21 9 through 22 5 we see john's description of this city uh this eternal reality so again thank you for joining us it has been a thrill um to share with you about the book of Revelation. God bless you.